This is our second week of resuming in-person services, and I thought I'll start a bit different today. You know, I just felt led even during worship. Can we just stand for, for just a short moment? We're going to take two minutes just to pray for what's been happening the last couple of days, you know, with the, the torrential rain that has been falling, the floods that have been falling, and, um, and really we want to pray for everyone who has been affected. Is that okay? All right, for those who are in the hall, just begin to lift your hands to God and believing. And even for those who are online, just stretch your hands out to the screen. We want to pray that God's mercy will intervene even during this season. God, we pray for your hand, your mighty right hand to come upon the situation right now. That we've seen such unexpected, unprecedented rainfall, oh God, has caused so much uh, damage and so much, um, you know, flooding that has been happening, oh Lord, even in our beautiful nation, even in, in, in our state, oh God, there's so much that is happening, and we're hearing so many reports of so many that are affected. God, we pray right now, God, that you continue to place your hand upon the situation. Oh, God, give more reprieve. God, we know that even this morning, we want to praise you that, that, that they expected the, the heavy rain and thunderstorms to continue until 2 o'clock. And everywhere the report said that, but God, you stopped the rain early this morning. And we want to praise you for that. Continue to push back the floods, oh God. We pray for every family that has been affected, oh God. Every child that has been affected. Every business that has been affected, oh God. Lord, we pray, oh God, that everyone that needs help will get help speedily. That, God, you will bless the first responders with your wisdom, with your courage, oh God. With your, you know, and, and activate them even to reach those that, that, that just need a warm meal, need a some warm clothes, some, 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 some dry clothes, oh God, that God, you will reach every family that is in need right now in the name of Jesus, oh God. Oh, push back every flood. We plead for your mercy. We plead for your grace. Let your will be done. We just entrust the situation to you and show us even as a church how we can help as well, oh God, even in this critical window. So we just praise you even as we we commit the situation into your hands. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I thought it was important as a church to just pray for what was happening. You know, when you hear and you see the pictures and the videos of all the damage it's been having. I got some messages this morning from some of my friends whose businesses have been affected because the warehouses that they kept all their goods completely flooded and they had to write off already. You know, and so there's so much that is happening that we need to keep our fingers on the pulse and continue praying, you know, because that is what we do as a community of faith. Amen? Amen. And it's really so good to see so many familiar faces this morning. Can you just turn to someone and give them a wave? And if you're online, thank you so much for streaming in as well. We believe, you know, we've seen over the last two years that any time we lean in, hungry for the presence of God, He visits us wherever we are. Even as we come with worship and an open heart, His presence still continues to fall as we seek His face. Amen? So if you're online, just type in the chat as well, blessed to be here, you know, and we're just going to go into the next segment of our arrival series, okay? Just a few days ago, my children, two of them, went for their first ever PCR test. How many of you gone for those tests already? Give me a wave. 
Yeah, quite a few, even some of the younger ones have gone through it, right? And uh, what happened was they, they had a chance to go to Singapore. My parents were going to visit. Um, all my siblings are there and their children, so we haven't seen them for over two and a half years. We miss them, and my kids had the chance to go and visit all their cousins to spend Christmas with them, and we were excited. So they had to go for this test, and it, it's not a pleasant test, you know? So they, they managed to stand through the... The, the swab on the throat, they were okay. But once they went to the nose and they started to poke all the way back in the nasal passages, it's not a fun feeling, especially for young children. And my younger one started crying, you know, in the process of getting that test, right? And I remember in the car after, we asked, how did it go? And they said, not fun, you know. And they were very angry. And then after a few moments, my elder daughter, she's 10 years old, and she said, but Daddy, it was a small price to pay when I think of, about the fact that we get to spend Christmas with family in Singapore. It's worth it. You know, and now as I was preparing this message, that really spoke to me this week that those words of wisdom can come from my young children. I think they're wiser than me. You know, sometimes when we hear our children, what comes in purity from their hearts is so wise. And so they were saying when we fix our eyes on what is to come, when we fix our eyes on, on the purpose behind taking the test, they said it is worth it. And no matter what pain, no matter what tears, no matter what discomfort, and when we think about it, they said it is a small price to pay for the reward that is yet to come. And that will speak to us today, amen? You know, because we're on the fourth segment of the Arrival series, and we've been on this beautiful journey of reflection and what is it focusing on as believers? As believers, what are we to, how are we to wait for the arrival of the King, Jesus Messiah? You know, and in the past, the, 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 the believers had to wait a very, very long time. You know, no matter how long they waited, they had to wait 400 years, right, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They went through so much challenge and suffering and difficulty but yet they could wait with hope, they could wait with peace, they could wait with love, they could wait with joy, because they knew that Christ was coming. And once they fixed their eyes on Christ and fixed their eyes on the truth that Christ was to come, they knew that their deliverer was on the way, that their redeemer was on the way, and they could wait in anticipation no matter how difficult it got, no matter how many tears, no matter how much discomfort that they went through, they waited with supernatural hope and peace and love and joy. And so, today we're going to continue this journey, even leading into Christmas. And our topic today is joy. How does a community of believers have joy ignited in their hearts, overflow from them, because we're also waiting for the second advent. We're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And so we need to know how to take that position of waiting for our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah, our Emmanuel that we're singing about, you know, all during this Christmas season. Yeah? And so that's what we're going to go into and learn today. And, you know, a few years ago, there was this very famous lady. Her name was Marie Kondo. Have you heard of her? Yeah, I see some nods around the hall as well. And she, she swept the world by storm with a philosophy of decluttering the home, right? Minimalist, minimalist decluttering. 
And there was one key question that she would ask you to ask every time you picked up an item in the home. And that question was, does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? And every time you pick up an item, if it sparks joy, you get to keep it. If it doesn't spark joy, you either give it away or you throw it away. And that's how you would declutter your home so that you're not hoarding so many things. And she believed that would bring joy into your household, right? And so I want to ask one thing, okay? One thing this year, just reflect on it. In this challenging, difficult 2021, in this season of pandemic, what is one thing that sparked joy in your heart? I believe that God has still been good to us, right? He's been so awesome. So what is the one thing that has brought you joy despite a very challenging year? If you're online, just type it in the chat. What is one thing that brought joy to you this year? I was reading this research by an organization called Ipsos, and they do research on global happiness. And so they surveyed 20, uh, 27 countries in 20, 29 broad categories, and they found there were five specific things that people said were most likely to bring joy to them, all right? They're sources of joy. And let me just read it out right now. The first thing they said was my health and physical well-being. The second thing was my relationship with my partner or spouse. The third thing was my children. The fourth thing, feeling that my life has meaning. And the fifth thing was my living conditions. And this was the top five out of every category that was rated, every factor that was rated. These were the five things that people said were their sources of joy in this season. But then I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message. What happens when all these things are taken away? What happens when your health fades? When you receive a medical report that is not that's unsettling and it shakes you? What happens when, you know, um, when uh, your relationship breaks down? What happens when you think about your work and you find that you don't have any meaning in the work that you're doing, even though you're spending so much of your, your time and your life and your effort and your tears there? What happens when it's all taken away? And many times, happiness will flee your heart and um, despair actually begins to set in. Because when you anchor your joy, when you anchor your happiness on external circumstances that can change over time, you know, it's based on how those circumstances play out. And godly joy is very different. I'm just going to define it right now. Godly joy is the quiet, confident assurance in God's love for us and in God's work in us, no matter what the season is. Can I just repeat that once again? Godly joy is the quiet, confident assurance in God's love for us and in God's work in us, no matter what circumstance or season we go through. And so it's never hinged on circumstances. That's why we need to be very clear on where we anchor our joy as Christians. Amen? Can you just type in the chat if you're there? Um, my confidence is in Christ. My confidence is in Christ. And that's really the theme of what I want to share about today. It's heavy on my heart that, you know, the world's happiness is based on happenings, but the, God, the godly joy that Christ brings always is based on Christ. Amen? 
And the good news is that, that God wants us to be joyful. God doesn't want us as Christians to be miserable or depressed. Can you just turn to someone next to you or if you're online, just type it in. God, tell them, God wants you to be joyful. God wants you to be joyful. And I know you can't see the big smile underneath our mask, but we are all smiling because we have encountered Jesus for ourselves, right? Because in the NIV translation of the Bible, guess how many times the word joy appears? 218 times. God desires us to be overflowing with supernatural joy. It is part of the abundant life that He intends for all of us. But then the key question is how? How do we have joy? Especially when we face so much brokenness in the world, especially when every, there's so many attacks, so many things that try to tear us down. And that is what we're going to explore as a topic today in my sermon. And the place I want to start at is the book of Philippians. Philippians is affectionately known as the book of joy, the epistle of joy, because when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. He was bound in chains, okay? He was in suffering, but the words of the entire book overflow with supernatural joy. And so what better place, you know, for us to learn about this theme and how we as believers await the second advent with that heart of joy that is not based on circumstances, that is not based on the world, that is not based even on our feelings, but is based on the unshakable foundation of Christ. And even in, in, in just in the short book of Philippians, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible, four really short chapters as an easy read, you know, the word joy or rejoicing uh, comes up 16 times already. You know, it's constantly talking about joy. And today, it's just, it just excites me, excites my heart to be able to talk about it. We're going to read from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way from the beginning, okay? Let's just go into the verse and read it together in the NIV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all uh, God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. So just in these six short verses, I'm going to unpack three um, concepts and ideas really for us to apply into our lives for this season, to shift our perspectives into how we are to live with the presence of God and the joy of the Lord will be our strength. Amen? The first thing is something that a lot of people might not talk about when they talk about joy. I want to actually go straight to the first verse where it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Doesn't feel very joyful there, right? But I want to emphasize on this because it is a foundation of Paul's joy. 
He's calling himself a servant of Christ Jesus. And the Greek word for this uh, word servant is doulos, right? That's a famous word because some of you would have seen the ship that sails in, and it's called doulos. And what does doulos mean? It means servant. But beyond that, when you go into more of the meaning, it actually means slave, bond servant, right? And it says one who gives himself up to another's will, uh, one who... Uh, choose, where is it? One who is devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. That means you give up your rights and your interests in order to serve this master. And how is this related to joy? You know, and why for Paul does he use this as the foundation to this book of joy? Because, you know, if you go into other letters that he writes, he introduces himself in different ways. Sometimes he, call, he, he uses this word, doulos, all right? Sometimes he says, uh, Paul, apostle of Christ. Sometimes he says, Paul, brother in Christ. And so there's different ways that he introduces himself in the different letters that he writes. But in this epistle of joy, he says, I am a servant of Christ. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. And what is a bond servant? This is a very interesting concept when I read up on it. A bond servant... Under Mosaic law in the past, after serving for a number of years as a slave, you are allowed to go completely free, okay, under the law of Moses. And so, what happens with a bond servant is this slave, you know, tells the master, I want to continue as your slave, as a volunteer slave. And in order to seal the deal and in order to, to show that commitment, they actually go to a court of law with judges and the slave has to nail his ear to a post with an awl, you know, right the way through as a gesture, an expression of his commitment to the master. And why would a slave do that when he's worked so long as a slave? Why would he do that? You know, and not only he will come under the master for, for, for after that, even his family has to come under the master you know, for that, for, uh, for forever after that. And so, you have to ask yourself, why, is, why would he take such a powerful and significant step? The only reason many times that slaves do this is because they trust and love their master. They have experienced love from their master, and they trust their master 100%. They love their master 100%. They're willing to say, I entrust my life into your hands as well as my family's life you know and our future is in your hands and it is a declaration of saying you know i know that my life and my family's life will be better under your rulership under your lordship as you as my master than if i were to go free how powerful is that concept and how countercultural it is to the world today. Isn't that right? What is freedom in the world today? They will tell you it's a freedom to make your own choice, the freedom to not be accountable to anyone, the freedom not to be subject to anyone else's laws and rules, but to form your own rules to live by. But in Christ, it's such a paradox because the, Jesus said, in order to find life, you have to give up your life. The only time you truly find life is when you die to yourself. Then you will have life and life abundantly. 
And Jesus says, in order to find freedom, you need to give up your freedom to, to me, to the master. And then you will experience freedom that the world cannot give. And it's difficult for us to understand because every day we're bombarded by the, the worldviews of the world, the paradigms and the mindsets that tell us that freedom is something else. But Christ comes in and say, in, says, in his kingdom, freedom works differently. Joy works differently. Life and life abundantly works differently. And it's so counterintuitive to everything that we learn. Because from what we, if you, if you, if you truly reflect on it, you will realize that the world's freedom will always lead you to slavery. The world's freedom might look good from the outside, might even taste good, you know, before you go in. And then once you're inside, it will always lead you down a path to slavery. But when you are a slave to Christ, it will lead you to a path of deep, genuine, complete freedom. Can I get an amen? And you see some of the most unhappy Christians out there are those that try to keep one foot in the world and one foot in their faith. They will try to keep their eyes, one, one eye on heaven and one eye on their earthly desires. They try to have the best of both worlds, but that tension causes them to be so unhappy and so miserable. Because when you follow Christ, either He is the Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. It is a famous saying that we have heard over and over before in sermons, but it's so true. Christ needs to be Lord of all, or He is not Lord at all. He wants all of us. He wants our submission. But when we go in with that surrendered mindset, that's when true freedom is going to abound. Because freedom is not the ability to, to, to do what you want. Freedom is the ability to do the right thing, even when you don't feel like it. Freedom is the ability and the authority to say no to the wrong things, even when you are tempted to do it. That is what freedom is in Christ. And that will lead us down a path of genuine, deep joy. And so do you want joy today? Do you want biblical joy? We need to first of all recognize this very powerful concept that Paul understood where the foundation of biblical joy is in our relationship to Christ as master and servant, as master and slave. And that is the very foundation for which overflowing supernatural joy begins to come out of Paul. And we can see that even Christ himself set that example. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And so it's not something that Christ just demands of us without having gone through that journey. It said he could have grasped equality with God because he is fully divine as well. But he gave up so many rights, so many privileges in order to be a servant, in order to die for our sins on the cross, so that we could have a way, so that he could be the way, the truth, and the life. And that is who Jesus is. And that's why when we place our surrendered lives in his hands, he's able to release joy and freedom. 
So that is the first thing that we need to learn today, that we are born servants to the living God. Amen? The second thing is something that is pretty, uh, it looks pretty simple and self-explanatory, but we need to take a position, a heart of gratitude. And you see in verses 3 to 5, Paul says, As I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And even suffering in prison, he starts off with gratitude. You wouldn't expect him to be able to jump to that step, but he was able to have Christ within him and, and, and strengthening him to, for him to just carry that gratefulness. And you see that the nature of his gratefulness is outward focused. He's not thinking about himself because that's, that in that way, gratitude cannot flow. It flows when we have an outward orientation. He says, I, I pray for all of you with joy. I thank God for all of you. I thank God for my comrades in Christ, even though I'm in prison, even though I'm being tortured, even though I'm being beaten. I have joy because I, I have God and I have all of you. And that is the heart of gratitude that he has and he rejoices for. That's why in chapter 4, he even says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He knew the secret of strength that he knew how to rely on Christ's power and to trust in God's promises at every turn in his life. You know, and so even when he was in prison and bound in chains, he was able to be grateful. Can you turn to someone and just say, grateful, grateful, amen? And so, it's interesting how he contrasts gratefulness as well because Paul doesn't contrast gratefulness with ungratefulness. He decides to, to, to contrast it with a behavior. And so he commands uh, the church in Philippi this, you know, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul's response for this need for gratefulness is to tell us to stop complaining and to stop grumbling because how can gratitude flow from our hearts when we're in the midst of complaining, when we're in the midst of just focusing on our situation and feeling very miserable about it and not able to look outwards and, and, and thank God for the things that He has blessed you with. It's difficult for gratitude to flow when we're in that state. The author, Amy Collette, writes this, Gratitude is a powerful catalyst for happiness. It's the spark that lights a fire of joy in your soul. It's a catalyst to happiness, and it's a spark of joy in our soul. And you know, in May this year, I just remember um, my last surviving grandmother um, passed away my wama, you know, and, and it was a very difficult time for, for my family, 
Um, we really missed her because we've been spending a lot of time with her the last couple of years. She's been staying with my mom and my dad, and they've been taking care of her for, for two years. And, um, and, I, and my mom was, was very close to her, you know. She actually held her hands um, the morning that she passed on. And, and as she took her last breath peacefully at home in her bed, you know, and it was God's grace that we were able to say goodbye to her in that way, you know, um, just from old age. It wasn't from illness or anything. And a few days later, I asked my mom, how are you doing, mama? How are you doing? And she had tears in her eyes as she shared. She said, I, I miss her so much, Roger. I really miss her. And then she said this, but, but Roger, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that as I think back about the last two years, about the time we spent together, I'm so grateful that she, has, she could enjoy her last couple of years so much that every day we could take walks together and talk together. And every day I could cook her her favorite food and I would see the enjoyment in her face as she ate that food and appreciated it that God still gave her the opportunity to taste and enjoy food. And she said, the thing that, that I'm most grateful for is that she could enjoy her favorite durian. How many of you are durian lovers? Give me a wave. <laughs> About half, not everyone. Okay, that's okay. And she said, I would always buy for her even though I don't, I know she shouldn't have too much, but it was her favorite thing. And she would always look at me and say, can I have one more? <laughs> in Hokkien, can I have one more? You know, and my mom would always sneak her another seed and she would hold it and she would savor it, you know, just to enjoy that, 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 that piece of durian. And she said, With the smile that I saw on her in this last couple of years, I am so grateful. And then my mom said this, and I think that maybe God knew best because we were always wondering why she, you know, had to come and, and live with my parents. We thought that she would be more comfortable in the home that she has been living in for, for many decades, that she would be more comfortable, you know, spending her last years in the place that was most familiar to her, most comfortable to her. But then my mom said, I, I, I think that God knew best because she had such a good life in the, these last couple of years and I could spend so much good time with her. And even though I miss her so much, Roger, I am so grateful. And so you can see in the midst of such deep grief, it's a heart of gratitude that unlocks joy in our hearts. It's a heart of gratitude that unlocks that supernatural joy for Christ to come down and, and pour it down over our lives. No matter how intense the suffering and the grief was, my mom was able to be grateful and just experience a deep joy. And this is not to say that we brush things under the carpet. It's not that we say pain and suffering, you know, don't exist, that we need to jump to joy, that we need to jump to happiness. But in the midst of the tears, God can bring joy. When we allow God to come in, when we allow our eyes to just look outwards and see how God is blessing us, when we allow ourselves to be grateful without grumbling, without complaining, without arguing, it begins to unlock supernatural joy. Amen?
So we've learned two things already. The foundation of joy is in our relationship to God as our master and servant. That is the foundation of all joy. The second thing is gratitude is the key that unlocks joy. Amen? So uh, right now, just type in the chat if you're online, choose gratitude. And if you're in a hall, turn to someone and say, choose gratitude. It is God's key to unlock joy. The last point that I want to share about is a confidence to praise. A confidence to praise. And in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1, it says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We need to have an unshakable confidence in Christ. Amen? in the work that He's done on the cross, in His great love for us. And not only do we need to be confident of His love uh, uh, for us, we need to be confident that His good work is working in our lives because we need to know that His hand is upon our lives, guiding us, working in the background, fighting our battles, and working all things out for good. It says in the verse, being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. We need to hold on to that assurance. And that's why in Romans as well, it says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Romans says, all things, God uses all things. <coughs> he doesn't only use the things that feel good, he doesn't only use the things that appear good. God is able to use all things and redeem all things in order to do a good work in your life. And you need to know that. Why? Because when we go through our days, there are going to be seasons that completely knock the wind out of our sails. There are going to be seasons of such brokenness where things tear us down. And there are going to be times when you're like, God, what are you doing? And then in His still small voice, God sometimes says, this is part of my good work for you. Are we ready to receive that truth that sometimes the pain and suffering that we encounter in life is part of God's good work for us? His good work to mold us, to craft us, to teach us, to, to refine us, and to release us deeper into our destiny that sometimes takes pain. That sometimes takes suffering. That sometimes takes grief. And it is all God's tool to mold us. And we need to have a heart that is so open to that molding, recognizing that He will use all things to work for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. And you can see this as a recurrent theme in Paul's life, that he's able to praise in the storm at every turn, even in Acts. You remember the famous story about Paul and Silas in prison, right? And he's been beaten, he's been stripped, he's been tortured, he's been whipped, you know, Paul and Silas. And then not only that, they're already physically weakened. They are pulled into the inner parts of the prison. And then they, are, they even placed their feet in stocks to be locked up. And they must be thinking, I've been whipped and I've been beaten. It's not like I can I have the energy to run away. But they were going through so much torture. And what did they do? They praised. 
They began singing hymns, singing hymns of praise to God, knowing who Christ is and anchoring themselves on Christ. And there was such a powerful breakthrough and miracle where the very foundations of the prison began shaking. And that is what praise can do because praise is the external expression of the internal fruit of joy that the indwelling Spirit gives us. When we become believers, the Spirit of God lives within us and begins to grow fruits of the Spirit within us. One of those fruits is the Spirit of joy. And we read that in Galatians, right? It comes in, it transforms us from the inside out, and the internal transformation that brings that joy demands an external expression of praise. It works hand in hand. And that's why the key verse in Philippians is actually in chapter 4, verse 4. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. How many of you are familiar with the old song that sings this, this verse? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. The word rejoice is not a suggestion. The word rejoice is command. The word always is not a suggestion. The word always is a command. We are to be in constant rejoicing, always praising God, always letting the praise of the Lord be upon our lips. And that is so important because as believers who have encountered Christ, we must rejoice because the revelation of who Jesus is, what He's done for us, how much He loves us, and how much He's working in our, the plans over our life, that demands an external expression of Praise, genuine praise and worship. And this was the key line that came to me as I was preparing for this sermon the last one month. And I want you to remember this before you go off today. Whatever robs your praise will also rob your joy. Whatever robs your praise will also rob your joy. Because joy may be internal, but when we cannot praise God in the midst of all our circumstances, it is actually one of the symptoms and the signs that joy is about to leave you. It is actually a thermometer and a yardstick to measure how, 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 how much joy you have and when it's going to leak out. If you're not able to praise very soon after, your joy also begins to leak away and disappear. And when we continue to praise Him, His joy continues to be our strength. I'm going to close on this story. Um, many, many years ago, 13 years ago, I was working in a very busy corporate marketplace uh, place job full-time. And I don't know what uh, possessed me, but I, I, uh, I decided to do my MBA while I was working. I don't know. How many of you have done your MBA while you're working? I'm sure someone in this hall has done it before, someone online. You know, 
because I've heard stories from my friends, and it wasn't easy. It was a tough season. You know, the classes were on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday evenings, and then I would be in a, a job that required me to do so much overtime as well. It was so busy, and it almost broke me. And I remember during that time, I was a connect leader and a worship leader at the same time, and I was about to give up. After one year of doing my part-time studies and full-time work, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. And I remember we were, I was in the car with my, my girlfriend at that time, and we were in front of the building, the traffic light, the building where I studied my MBA. Uh, in case you're wondering, my, that girlfriend is now my wife, so um, please don't get me into trouble. Same girl. Um, and so, so she was sitting next to me, and I was telling her, um, Sarah, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I've, I'm empty. I think I have to step down from all my ministry tasks for the season and then see how it goes in future and maybe come back. And, and, and I don't know what gave her the courage to say this, but she's told me this, Roger, I, I sense something in my spirit. If you step away from the worship team now, if you step away from praising God now, I don't know if you'll ever come back. See how brave she was even when she was my girlfriend? So you can imagine how brave she is when she's my wife now. Um, but she is a voice of wisdom and sensitivity for me. And I've learned to trust her across the years because when she speaks, she's quite a quiet girl, but when she speaks, I better listen, right? <laughs> because God many times speaks through her. And so she said this, and it, it really pierced my heart. So I went home and I prayed about it. And I felt God to ask me to press on, even though I felt I had no more strength to press on. Because worship is the only uh, ministry where if even no matter what week you've been, when you step up on stage, you can't have a downcast spirit and be jumping with joy and saying, everyone, let's praise God. You got to sort things out in your heart and your spirit and say, you can't be downcast, my spirit. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Wake up and bless the Lord. And God was saying, you need to keep praising me in this season. Because I felt that if I had made that decision then, in my mind I was rationalizing. I can go back into my ministries after I finish. But God was saying, it's a shifting of your priorities. And in this shift of priorities, if you continue down this path, Roger, it will change your destiny and your trajectory of life. You will prioritize other things. You'll finish your MBA. You, you'll start to build a different career and vocation. And I don't think I'll be standing here today as a pastor in full time with everything that it, it means if I had walked away from serving during that season. And so I continued to praise God. I continued to press on. I found a way to continue serving and I thought I was going to flunk my whole MBA. But I don't know how this happened, but praise God. I got my results. I passed everything and I even did very well in my GPA. It's God's miracle. I don't know how it happens. And all glory to Him because I was already at the end of my strength. I was at the end of my rope. And I wanted to say, God, I want to give up. I want to stop. But he said, keep praising. 
keep praising because your praise will determine your trajectory. If you're online, type this in. Your praise will determine your destiny. Because praise is the necessary expression of a life who has encountered Christ. It goes hand in hand. And so these three things I want you to learn as you go out into this Christmas season, that we are a community of believers that will wait with joy, supernatural joy. And what is the foundation to that joy? It is that we understand the nature of our relationship to our Master, that when we surrender everything and say, God, I'm all in, you take it all. I will be your servant, I will be your slave, I will be that bond servant for you. That will form this most solid foundation of joy. The second thing to unlock joy is the key of gratitude. That no matter what situation you go through, you can say God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Not because we push that grief and that pain under the carpet. But in the midst of that grief, we can look to Christ and say, You are enough. You are more than sufficient for me. Finally, expression of joy, the external expression of joy is praise. Keep praising, keep singing, keep worshipping because it impacts on our destiny with God. And when you pray, sometimes in the midst of circumstances, there is a defiant praise. You defy the circumstances, no matter how dark it is, no matter how painful it is. I am going to praise you, God, because you are worthy, you are in control, and you hold my future in your hands. And so we need to praise. And today, that is going to be my altar call. That we're going to sing a song of worship. That we're going to declare a hallelujah that we're going to sing a song of praise and that is going to defy whatever circumstances we are facing right now. We're just declaring, yes, God, you are good enough. You are more than enough. You are, your joy will be my strength and it will see me through. Just like how Paul and Silas, as they praise, they broke those chains and the, the prison foundation shook as we praise. God is going to come in and begin to shake Shake the things that are against you. Shake the frameworks and the plans that are against you. He's going to work His good purposes for you. Amen. Are you ready to praise God today?